Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash. Are you afraid that someone is keeping a secret from you? Call now for a free tarot reading and discover the truth today. Miss Cleo, you are the best. Cheer up, my friend, and listen to the proverb from Zolkar. A smile is worth a hundred frowns in any market. Uh, yes, and lucky for you, the great Zoltar sees much happiness ahead for you. Go find it now. All right. Let's see what the cards have in stock for you, sir. Is it just pick a card, any card? Is that how you do it? That's how we're doing it. Here, let me pick this one. Hey, don't look. All right, what is it? Power. Ah, yes, this is a very smart card. Uh, this is a, we've never done tarot before, and um, we got this deck from, what was that place? The Haunted Bookshop? The Haunted Bookshop in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, and the owner's name was Drew. He was super nice and cool. We ended up buying this really cool Aleister Crowley tarot deck, and um, unfortunately, the Haunted Bookshop didn't get their lease renewed because of the... Uh, it's too scary. Yeah, the building owner said it didn't jive with his spiritual beliefs, even though it had been there for like 10 years already. But anyways, um, shout out to Drew from The Haunted Bookshop. I think he's still doing like ghost tours and stuff in the area. He was really nice. Super awesome dude. We bought a bunch of stuff from him, one of which is his deck that we have just opened right now. And um, it said that you're powerful. And so therefore, I will let you start... I think they're working. They're speaking, yeah, they're they're working. speaking the truth. Oh, and this is the True Crime Dumpster podcast with hosts Amy. And Kevin. Um, and we're coming at you with uh, our episode called Sooth Slayers. Sooth Slayer! Okay. Was yeah. that your power? That's part of it. All right. So I'm you're... just letting a little power out, like blowing steam kind of. So you're going to tell us about some stuff you Googled, right? <laughs> I've Googled things here and there. All right. Go for it. Um, well, you just want to get right into it, huh? Oh. Um, well, I guess one little kind of housekeeping thing is um, Rodney Reed's execution was stayed. So he is no longer being on the docket for being killed, luckily, um, in Texas. Like we talked about last episode. So that's good. I'm glad. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's in it. I think he's innocent of, of the murder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe not of some other things. Yeah. Um, it's almost Thanksgiving. And it's 80 degrees out. And I'm drinking a margarita. I know. That, that? Life in Southern California. Not so yeah. bad, huh? I'm hanging loose. Woo. Cowabunga. <laughs> And we got to see our friend's band this last weekend, so shout out to, uh, I'm having a brain for Night Fell, um, our buddies. Yep. Super cool. Check them out. Check them out. Uh, and okay, I, yes. get, I get to go see King Diamond soon. You don't, because you'll be leaving for tour soon, so we're going to try to get a couple more episodes recorded before you leave so we can release some stuff while you're gone. I think it'd be too hard to try to do one via Skype or something. We tried to do that before. It wasn't great. 
All right, go for it. Tarot and divination. So, all right. I'll show you that the tarot can make a believer out of anyone. A little lesson in tarot and divination. That I'm sure everyone will tell us we're wrong about. <laughs> well, all of you witches can send us a... City witches. Yeah. You can <laughs> witches post of Instagram. something nasty on our <laughs> Facebook group. All right. Um, so divination is the attempt to ascertain information by interpreting, uh, omens or alleged supernatural, uh, like spirits, I guess, consulting the, the spirits. Um, and that is from the new world encyclopedia, not word for word, obviously. Do you get that from encyclopedia Britannica? Um, Encyclopedia de la Google. Got it. <laughs> uh, divination is distinguished from fortune telling in that uh, divination has a formal or ritualistic kind of religious context where fortune telling is more casual uh, and everyday practice used for personal purposes. Which is the one that uses the crystal ball? Or is that kind of a misnomer? Do you know? Um, they probably both do. Hmm. Well, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to ask a real soothslayer. Or a soothsayer. Let, let's, not meet, let's not meet any soothslayers. Um... Divination and fortune telling is pretty much dismissed by the scientific community as superstition, if you could believe that. Mm. Um, but the practice is widespread and has been known in almost every historical period. It's one of the primary practices used by shamans, seers, soothsayers, sorcerers, and witches. Spooky. Astrology was one of the first types of divination. The Egyptians, Druids, and Hebrews would read the death throes and entrails of sacrificed animals. Oh, yeah. Didn't they read tea leaves, too? Yeah. Uh, the Romans would only perform important duties, like planting crops or going to war, after consulting their divines. Ah. So the next time we see, like, a animal on the road, we got to pull over run into the freeway and see what's going to happen for the next podcast, okay? Sound like a plan, buddy? The next time I water the plants, I'm going to ask the magic eight ball <laughs> and see what it says. They might not make it. Ask again later. Isn't that one of the things? <laughs> That's yeah. one of them. <laughs> That's a lame answer. Yeah. It's like a ball being too lazy to answer you. That's how I got carpal tunnel, was shaking the fucking... <laughs> Trying to get a good answer. As far back as 1000 BC, E? What's the E? Before Christ, Emerit. I don't know. I'm just E A? Well, anyways, the Chinese had I Ching, which is almost like an iPhone now. If you, I don't it's probably no, not. No, no, no. Um, but it was an oracle, which is like an iPhone, right? Uh, Ooh, I guess. But it was involving the tossing and reading of long and short yarrow sticks. Also, feng, feng shui, feng shui. I, why are you looking at me? I'm not that. 
I mean, it's it's people say feng shui, but it is spelled F-E-N-G, but I'm not Chinese. Nor am I. So I'm going to say feng shui. Uh, it was a form of divination used by the Chinese, which involved creating or erecting um, buildings, tombs, or other structures by determining the currents of invisible energy coursing through the earth. Ley lines, if you know what those are. So is our bed feng shui okay? Well, people still use feng shui when arranging the furniture at their homes to get like a good energy. Mm-hmm. So that's it's kind of like been passed down in that way. Um, well, I was asking about ours. Ours is on a vortex. <laughs> okay. And that's I think it's why on a fault line. That's why things keep disappearing. Gotcha. And I think one of the rooms is kind of like the Amityville Horror because there's flies here that are crazy. I think it's just the people living in RVs and pooping outside like two blocks away. There is a lot of poop. Yeah, I think I think that's what's happening. <laughs> but the view is nice. Yeah, the view is great. 80 degrees outside and I'm drinking a margarita. And we get pink sunsets. You, you, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. Um, the earliest references to the tarot date back to the 1400s. First known as, I'm going to screw this up. I think it's like Italian or something. Trianfi. Mm-hmm. And later as Tarocci or Tarak was a pack of playing cards handmade for wealthy families in various parts of Europe, probably inspired by an even older card game from Egypt called Malmuk. Basically, how you played was you'd turn over a card and there would be an image on the card and then you would make up a short story or poetic verse about the person playing and then you turn over the next card and the story changes to whatever image you're kind of seeing. So it's kind of, that's how it kind of developed. Um, It wasn't until the 18th century that tarot cards were used for divination, prophecy, and other occult practices. Like common playing cards, the tarot has four suits, each consisting of 14 cards, 10 pip cards from one or ace to 10, and four face cards king, queen, knight, and knave, or jack. In addition, the tarot has a separate 21-card suit known as the triomphy, or triumph card, um, as well as a single card, the fool. Is the trump card also the fool card? Didn't. Sorry, I know you don't want to get political. Yeah, that was too close. Too close. (laughs) Too close there. Um, They are also split into the major arcana, which denote important life events, lessons, or milestones, and the minor arcana, which reflect more day-to-day events. Uh, The earliest cards were hand-painted. That's why only wealthy families could afford them, uh, and depicted astrological symbols, Roman gods, and animals. It wasn't until the invention of the printing press that regular people could afford tarot cards, helping them become more mainstream. As time went by the cards began having more esoteric images as people began using them for more divinatory purposes. In 1781, French Freemason Antoine Court de Gobelin... Gobelin? That's cool. (laughs) Gobelin. Gobelin. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) 
Um, he believed the symbolism in the tarot was derived from esoteric secrets of Egyptian priests. He went on to explain ancient knowledge had been carried to Rome and revealed to the Catholic Church, who desperately wanted to keep this arcane knowledge secret. Though there's no evidence to support this, it didn't stop people from jumping on the esoteric bandwagon. Yeah, like, that's like all of Portland. The witches of Instagram. <laughs> um, and this led to the belief that the cards did have some connection to the divine. As occult interest in the tarot expanded, it became associated with the Kabbalah and the secrets of hermetic mysticism. British occultist and member of the Golden Dawn, Arthur Waite, who was also a longtime nemesis of fellow Golden Dawn member Alistair Crowley. Oh, he's our dude. With the cards. He got together uh, with Pamela Coleman-Smith, also a member of the Golden Dawn, and they created the first writer weight tarot deck. That's what we have? I think I ours think so. is a variation, but that was the first one that I think it's the most popular style, I think. Yeah. It's really pretty. Um, Smith was the first artist to use characters of human figures as representative images in the lower cards instead of the traditional cluster of cups, coins, wands, or swords creating the style of tarot cards we know today. Hmm. That is my report on <laughs> your report. The tarot I, cards. I gave you an assignment and that's what you did. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. All right. Um, so I, with. All of that, that's because we're going to be covering a couple of crimes of um, soothsayer, fortune-telling, palm-reading, psychic kind of stuff. And the first one is actually pretty famous, um, but it's kind of hard to find information about. And the information I found was fairly varied. And I think it has a lot to do with... Um, maybe the community in which it came out of, as well as just the oddness of it. But anyways, um, it is called the Fortune Teller Murders, and it happened in Westminster, California, which is in Orange County, um, in a community called Little Saigon, which has the largest number of Vietnamese immigrants coming primarily during the 70s and 80s. Um, so the city of Westminster... California is home to over 30,000 um, Vietnamese uh, people today. Um, some of my source material came from a couple of television series, which I found the most information from. One was called Wicked Attraction, and the episode aired in 2011 and was called Bad Fortune. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of puns. I think I saw that when I was a kid. It was scrambled. Oh, Kevin. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. All right. The second um, series was called Unusual Suspects, and the episode was called Dangerous Fortune. <laughs> They're really going with that theme. Um, I also used a little bit of information from the website called I Can't Believe Nonfiction, um, as well as the city. <laughs> I know. I can't believe it's not butter. Yeah. Um, as well as the West Westminster City um, homepage. 
Um, there was also a couple of uh, articles from the Orange County Register um, by Larry Welburn. Um, I also use Murderpedia. And last but not least, there was a website I used called um, Crime Reads. And um, the it was kind of based off of the podcast called, uh, I believe it was called, oh yeah, Criminal Broads. Um, and sh- Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw that one too. <laughs> and the writer was Tanya Nelson. And um, the title of that webpage on Crime Reads was called um, The Fortune Teller with Real Power. So thanks to all of the stuff that helped me find out how to tell this story, which is a very twisted, odd story. So I'll start with um, the city itself. Um, Like I said, there were a large number of Vietnamese refugees um, fleeing from conflict in their homeland to the area of Westminster and Garden Grove, and they referred to this area as called Little Saigon. The influx of new immigrants spurred the construction and development of a variety of Southeast Asian businesses, restaurants, and professional services, which established a new commercial activity center in the center in the city and supported the largest Vietnamese cultural enclave outside of Vietnam. Um, of these 36,000 Vietnamese Americans, Ha Jade Smith and her daughter Anita Nivo were two. Uh, ha came to the U.S. in the late 70s when she was 25 years old. In 1981, she gave birth to her daughter, Anita. By 2005, Ha was a 52-year-old palm reader, fortune teller, psychic advisor, and spellcaster. <laughs> she charged as much as, and I found a whole bunch of varying numbers. Some say uh, she charged up to 6000 Some people said 10000 But she just charged a whole lot because she was very credible in that community. And a lot of people would put a lot of weight in her fortunes um, and wouldn't make big decisions about their lives like marriage or uh, giving birth or big financial decisions without consulting with her first. And they came from all over the United States. Um, And so because they would come with like cash and gifts and stuff, um, she had thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars hiding all over her house. Um, as well as expensive jewelry, clothing, luggage, and purses. She also drove a very expensive car. Um, One of the websites I was reading said she dripped with expensive diamond jewelry all the time. Um, Which, again, I I think I, I don't... I don't want it to seem like I'm victim blaming at all or anything, but she was the target of a lot of people in the community, which is what one of the reasons that so many suspects or so many people were on the suspect list because um, she did have a lot of wealth and she didn't keep it a secret. I think she was really, really proud of her success, um, especially, you know, being an immigrant in the United States. So the Vietnamese Mr. T. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, if you look up a picture of her, she's ridiculously beautiful. And her daughter is very beautiful as well. They're just like this very, very beautiful family, um, which, I, again, that's just aside from the fact that, I mean, it's it's a terrible crime that happens anyways. But just they look so sweet. And um, watching the documentaries with their families talking about them just kind of breaks your heart um, that, uh, you know, I'm going to get to the point where these people are not going to be alive for much longer. Sorry. Um, Anita, um, her daughter was 23 years old and was a college student who was just accepted into law school. So they were both doing really, really well financially and academically. Anita's recent ex-boyfriend 
And again, I, I'm not going to name him because he's not super relevant to the story. And the two documentaries I watched had re- very different names. And both of the reenactments, one was an Asian dude and the other reenactment, he was a white dude. So um, I have no idea. And because he never was like real suspect for very long. I'm not going to name him. But anyways, Anita's recent ex-boyfriend was still in love with her and came by to drop off sandwiches and coffee to their home on April 20... I think this is April 21st. Yeah, 2005. Um, He also noticed a diamond tennis bracelet sitting on the driveway as if it had been dropped. He knew that Ha had very expensive taste, so he figured it was hers and laid it on top of the sandwiches before he left um because no one answered i probably wouldn't leave a multi-thousand dollar tennis bracelet filled with diamonds on some sandwiches in a box but mm, whatever um i think that even that kind of was like a red flag for police like just weird behavior like well why wouldn't you why wouldn't you take it with you or yeah, why, why wouldn't yeah. you just steal it yeah that too um he went by later that night and noticed that the sandwiches and the bracelet was still there he looked into the house and thought it didn't look right, so he was the one who called 911. Lieutenants Bill Collins and Timothy Vu of the Westminster PD were some of the first officers on the scene, and they tell a lot of the, the story in both of the documentaries I watched. So even though the documentaries weren't consistent with each, with each other, the people that were interviewed were, and those were the two dudes that were consistently interviewed and quoted in all of the stuff I was looking at. Um, they said that this scene was one of the worst and the most bizarre they had ever seen. The bodies of Ha Smith and her daughter, Anita Vo, were posed in a strange, um, for people who do yoga, it's like child's pose. Um, or if people who don't do yoga, it's child's pose, <laughs> which is kind of like a praying position with their heads on the ground and their hands extended above their heads. Um, their fingers were positioned in such a way that it was kind of like they were flipping off something, um, which they were fairly sure was, um, significant to be like derogatory. Why is that the child pose? Child's pose? I don't know. It's just called, it's just like, it, I don't know. makes you feel like a child. I think it's the way you're positioned in the womb. Ah. Like your, your, your knees are to your chest and you're laying on the ground. It feels good. I don't know. You feel like a child. (laughs) um both women um were severely bloodied and their heads and hands this is the weirdest part well everything about this is weird but both women are severely bloody and their heads and hands were coated in a gallon of white paint um investigators thought that the bodies were posed very symbolically conjuring up images of the occult and or other ritualistic practices they weren't sure what to make of it Um, whether it was like a red herring to chase or something very meaningful that would help them find their killer or killers. One theory is that white is a very symbolic color in the East, um, much like how black is in the United States. Um, It's a symbol of death or mourning. um, And they wondered if this was significant to their deaths or was it simply to hide potential DNA that the perpetrators might have left behind. Like, um, because at that point in 2005, there's like touch DNA and stuff like that starting to be, become more of a prevalent science. Like they're able to like get foreign skin cell DNAs off of people, like off of victims and stuff, you know? Um, there's, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've seen that documentary. Um, oh gosh, of course I'm going to forget it now, but it's, oh, Amanda Knox. I know that, um, that the touch DNA or cross whatever DNA, was like a really, really big thing in the Amanda Knox trial 
which um, is super duper interesting. So if you haven't seen that, you should watch it. Um, she was exonerated, even though her DNA was everywhere. But uh, we, I don't want to get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, the two died of brutal multiple stab wounds to their faces and necks. They essentially bled out. So it was a very slow and painful death. Um, they had cuts just all over the place, uh, especially on their hands, to suggest that they had attempted to resist. Um, and also there was just there was just like bloody smears all over the ground and stuff where they had struggled and um, were definitely being dragged while they were still alive just because of like, you know, looking at the the spray pattern, the, you know, the yeah, blood yeah. splatter. It was just really they said it was just really it was a very violent attack. And this is a, a quote from Detective Timothy Vu at the time. He said, I haven't come across anybody else who has had a case in which the victim's heads and hands were covered in paint. I've had calls from colleagues in other departments, too. They feel kind of fascinated by that. It's not just something that happens. This is by far the most bizarre thing I've seen. Hmm. Added to all of this, um, Haas, uh, oh, in Ha's home was all this spiritual ritualistic iconography and shrines to you know whatever it is that she believed all around the house in this very bizarre scene and everything was very very expensive and imported from vietnam um one knife was found near one of the bodies um investigators noticed that there were knives missing from ha's set and realized that the knives were the ones who used that were used to kill the two women um upon further searching they realized that the killer or killers left behind the bag of knives that they had used, um, likely meaning to have taken them with them. So um, there was definitely going to be potential DNA on there that would link someone. Whoops. Yeah. Um, But it was obvious it was like on the way out, like they had put it down to like open the door and didn't pick it back up. Um, With at least two knives used and two women dead, investigators believe that there was a very good chance that there were two murderers. Missing from the scene were credit cards, money, and jewelry. It, um, if this was a robbery, why the strange post scene then? Um, of course, the ex was the first suspect in a long list of suspects. On top of the, his um, unwillingness to see the relationship or to realize that the relationship was over, he was also very much unliked by Ha because she had caught them in bed together at her home and forbade him to ever come over again. Um, the second suspect was Anita's new boo, who incidentally ran into Young one time in the driveway and caught them in a romantic embrace. Eventually, both of the men's alibis checked out, and they were both ruled out as suspects. The, me- uh, the next major suspect was the handyman. Um, and this- Always the handyman. Yeah. And this one was weird, too, because in one documentary, the handyman's white, and in the other documentary, the handyman's Asian. So, again, they just, like, I don't know. It was just kind of funny. Like, they just kept getting that the... Ethnic, like the ethnicities mixed up in both of the series. So I, I, that's kind of an aside. But um, he was found as a suspect because he had white paint all over his work boots. <laughs> Thor's distressed. He doesn't like this. The next major suspect was Handyman, primarily because he had white paint all over his work boots. And not to mention, this is the kicker, his driver's license was in the front of Anita's car. So he was seen, he's being seen as a very strong, strong suspect. Um, when questioned, he said that Anita liked helping him with things and offered to help him open a P.O. box because he was too busy to go to the post office. The police also took paint samples from his boots and truck to test against the white paint that was found on their bodies. 
Um, and But pretty soon after, the lab results came back and he was ruled out because they did not match. Though many believe that the fairly wealthy Ha owned the home she was in, she was actually renting it out from landlords who were planning on selling the place to her. And incidentally, the escrow paperwork needed to be signed the day that she was killed. Uh, mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So they were thinking that maybe the owners wanted to back out of um, the sale because they could have gotten a better you know, person to buy for more money. But, like, they were quickly ruled out as suspects. They were, like, out of town, and they had, like, a really, really good track record with her. So there would be, like, there was no ill will between um, the two parties at all. So they quickly ruled that out. Um, then the next promising lead was that Ha had actually been victimized before, um, having been tied up by Asian gang members and robbed of $372,000 worth of jewelry and money in 2001. They said that um, after um, the, the the attack that, you know, killed her and her daughter, um, they didn't like she had gotten really good at hiding things. And so she had actually hidden um, a half million dollars in cash in the vacuum cleaner that the people never found. That's one way to clean money. <laughs> yeah, I know. She's ah. like, is this how you launder money? Or I guess, no, that would be in the laundry machine then. You know. She was a fortune teller? I, I know, I know. We're going to get... I know. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. Yeah, I know. Call me now for your free tarot reading. You would think that she would foresee that. Yeah, I got it. Um, That's a joke that, unfortunately, like every single website and documentary has made. So. So you're welcome. Yeah. However... Um, the gang members who had been a part of that burglary were in police custody at the time of Ha and Anita's murders, so they had to be ruled out as well. She'd apparently changed the locks and placed iron bars over the windows of her home after that attack. Um, but police investigating the murder scene saw no signs of forced entry. The bars were in place and all the doors were locked. That would indicate that the killers or killer knew the victims, um, allowing them inside. Um... I believe that there was also another robbery uh, prior to the Asian gang members um, uh, invading her home and tying her up. So, again, like we t I talked about earlier, she was like this target in the community, um, quote unquote, dripping with diamond jewelry. She needs a big ass dog. Yeah, she probably did. Um, last, the police began to go through the list of over 250 clients in Ha's appointment book. Um, spanning all across the U.S. and even into um, other countries. Nothing was panning out. Everybody just loved her and respected her and thought that she was like the real deal. So no one would want, you know, their fortune teller to be murdered. However, the neighbor recalled a man um, and a woman came to Ha's house prior to the murders and provided police with information for sketches of these two individuals. Also, the police and Ha's family decided not to close out Ha's credit cards to see if they could get a hit on the person using them. And that's when they got their first real break. It was being used at a department store or department stores in Atlanta, Georgia. And they were actually able to pull surveillance from um, the stores of the suspect. But it was really grainy and they didn't know who she was. Um, after a little while longer... Um, plane tickets were finally bought under Ha's name, and the police had their opportunity to put officers on the flight 
and in the airports to observe the woman who had stolen Ha's identity and money. Um, they also said that there were five plane tickets purchased, and I was trying to figure out who the five would be. And then I realized she actually took her four kids with her. So the five plane... She was, so it yeah. was it the police that bought a bunch of tickets? Cause, no. Oh. She bought the ticket. They like let her Ha's credit card stay open so yeah, that... Yeah, yeah. So that she would keep using it and then they could like catch her. But she was always just going on these shopping sprees. And by the time they got to the stores or were able to send somebody to go check it out, it was already because, you know, this is 2005, you know. Um, so the security isn't maybe as quick as um, where like the footage isn't available as quick as it is now where it can be done in like pretty much like real time. Um so anyways, uh, she bought five plane tickets and used Ha's name and I think was using her ID as well. But she actually brought her four kids on this flight back to Orange County. And so this was very strange. And so the investigators or the police on the plane were like observing her and they're just like, dude, this lady is like not at all who we thought, you know, she was going to be. She's got like four kids and she looks really nice and she's dressed well. Like this is really weird. Um, the woman went on a shopping spree at the South Coast Plaza in Orange County and was apprehended by the police after she bought a bunch of shit with Ha's credit card as like a gotcha on credit card fraud stuff. Yeah. They finally had a viable suspect um, who had strong ties to the area. She owned a sex slash lingerie shop in Little Saigon. Um, I kept being I like one video referred to it as a lingerie shop and another said a sex shop, which in my mind are can be the same thing. But I don't know, or kind of two different things. But nonetheless, that's she owned a shop in Little Saigon. And when given the opportunity to talk, she immediately asked for a lawyer and refused to speak. That usually doesn't look so good for your innocence. Right. But it's pretty sexy. <laughs> but also it's your it's your right, you know. While in police custody, detectives were able to search, um, were able to search using a search warrant, um, Tanya's home in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, and found a ton of Haas stolen property and purchases made from Haas credit cards. She had just been like buying every single thing ever. Um, also, police found a planner. <laughs> okay, ready for this? With the words horrible sin written on the day of the killings that seems like pretty damning evidence right huh yeah and then the last kind of piece of the puzzle they soon uncovered the final blow and the missing link i didn't know which one to go with so i went with both (laughs) um the words i'm gonna mess this up but i'm gonna try twang tao ti win with tanya's vietnamese name that lined up finally in Ha's planner because they couldn't find anybody named Tanya Nelson in her planner. But when they finally realized that that was her American name and not her Vietnamese name, they were able to find that she was the last appointment in her planner before the murders. After more digging, investigators found that Tanya was happy. Okay, this is where the story gets like even more weird. So... After much digging, investigators found that Tanya was having a love affair with her brother-in-law. His name was Loy. Apparently, he had moved to North Carolina in part to get away from his brother's love-obsessed wife. Now, they actually had a love affair. It was like 10 years. It was like 10 years. So, who are these people to each other? Okay, so Tanya um, was a client of Haas. 
and had been for a very, very, very long time. Okay. And while she was a client of Haas, she was having a love affair with her brother-in-law. With her own brother With her own brother-in-law. His name is Loy. So it's her husband's little brother. And so one of the reasons she was going to Ha so much to get her fortune told was that she was very nervous and apprehensive about the affair. And she became like obsessed with this guy and was constantly asking Ha for advice. And so that's one of the reasons she went to her over the decade that she did was based primarily around her affair with her brother-in-law. Um, he moved to North Carolina, the Lloyd dude, in part to get away from her. Um, Tanya, you're going to get that she's kind of a psycho bitch. All right. Um, Tanya had gotten previous readings from Ha saying that she would find love and success in her business and her relationships. So she was convinced that she would have to just keep trying to get Lloyd back because Ha was telling her that she was going to find success in love and work. However, she was not finding success in either. She had actually filed for bankruptcy because she owed $200,000 on her business in Westminster. When Tanya went back to Ha after Loy had moved, um, she got reading, um, Ha got readings that Tanya did not like, saying that her lover had moved on. However, Ha said that if Tanya moved to North Carolina, she would find success in business there. Honestly, after reviewing all of this, I think Ha just wanted to get rid of her. She's all, yeah, move to North Carolina. Get the fuck out of here. Stop coming to me. <laughs> so Tanya up and moved uh, with her four kids and opened up a sex shop next to a church in Roanoke Rapids. Uh, they like they like that kind of stuff. They in really North do. Yeah. But she found that her illicit lover had moved on, was even engaged. She tried hard to break them up. Not in the best ways. Tanya even broke into his house and graffitied the walls with obscenities about his new girlfriend while they were out of town. She stole photos of the two. She basically loses her shit. She finally calls the police. uh, He finally calls the police on her. And one of the missing photos is actually found on her when she's apprehended. So I don't know if any charges were filed. I'm sure there were, but um, they they just kind of left it at that. So the police were able able to see her arrest record for that. Uh, She was a woman at her wit's end. So she wrote to Ha uh, asking for a love spell to get Loy to fall back in love with her again. Um, Tanya very quickly got back a very direct response that said, no, I will not do that, period. Uh, Needing Hmm. someone to blame for all of her misfortune in both her business and in her love, um, love life, she aimed this animosity at Ha. And this is just an aside. Tanya and her husband weren't divorced. He would visit twice a year. I guess he stayed in Little Saigon. But Tanya hadn't been exactly, quote unquote, focused on her marriage in quite some time. Um, I mean, she literally moved to go be close to his little brother. I don't I don't know if he knew, but. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That sounds like some North Carolina stuff. Wow. Or Orange County. Tanya and her husband had four kids together. Um, one time she even used one of her sons to lure Loy into a trap so she could scream and freak out at him. Huh. I wonder why he never wanted to get back together with her. She seems like such a peach. Yeah, she's a cray. The other potential killer was easy to find as Tanya had purchased his plane tickets with Ha's credit card and used his real name, Philippe Zamora. Um, also Vietnamese, I believe. 
Zamora was arrested on June 1st, 2005 at his home in North Carolina. So this was five weeks after the killings. Philippe is locked up or is picked up. And after a five and a half hour interrogation from police, he finally relented, telling them the whole strange and gory story. Deputy District Attorney Sonia Ballast told Tanya's jury in opening statements that the case involved greed, lust, obsession, revenge, incestuous relationships, straight sex, gay sex, the occult, threats, stealing things, and stealing lives. That is a direct quote from the DA. It's like Melrose Place. I know, on acid. (laughs) Danya Ransom... Okay, this was where uh, there was definitely the Wicked Attraction TV series. They had way more information on this than anything I read anywhere else. So this is completely based off of their television series. Um, but they said that she ran a an escort business outside of her nail salon, but nowhere did it list that she owned a nail salon. So nonetheless, I guess she ran an escort business in North Carolina with Philippe Zamora as one of her clients slash friends who would who she would hook up secretly with gay men. Uh, he was married to a woman, and apparently his wife had also been a client of Ha Smith's as well. Tanya promised to introduce him to gay sex partners in Orange County if he accompanied her. And with all the dirt that she had on Philippe, he kind of agreed to help her because he didn't want to be outed to his family or community. On April 21st, 2005, Tanya went to Ha's home with Philippe under the pretense of visiting and having Tanya's fortune told. But I guess the fortune teller didn't see this coming. That's where the joke was. Oh, yeah. Miss Cleo! It's not funny. Insert joke there. But again, like you would think so. Philippe, 55, said he panicked on April 21st, 2005 after he saw his friend Tanya sitting on top of Anita stabbing her with a kitchen knife. He said he picked up a wine bottle and hit Ha in the shoulder um, in a bid to silence her, then wrestled her to the ground and stabbed her repeatedly with two knives. Damn. I know. And this is a direct quote from him uh, during um, Tanya's Superior Court trial. It happened so quickly. I didn't know what to do. I just didn't want her to scream. They left Ha face down in the kitchen on the floor, and she bled to death after being stabbed in the head, face, neck, shoulders, and hands. They left Anita on the floor of the laundry room with her head jutting out into the hallway that led to the kitchen. They were about 10 feet apart from each other. Anita bled to death due to multiple stab wounds to her head, face, and neck. After murdering the victims, the pair attempted to wash bloody kitchen knives and wrap them in plastic bags, which then they subsequently left behind. Tanya ransacked the victims' homes and stole personal items, including cell phones, purses, jewelry, and credit cards. Tanya even felt comfortable enough to take a shower in Ha's bathroom, leaving behind a bloody and distinct foot impression on a towel. The investigators would later use this to definitively link her to the killings. The two then drove to Walmart. Always, it seems like that happens a lot after murders. Walmart and Home Depot. Yeah, weird. Yeah. To purchase paint, uh, returning to the victim's homes and, uh, home and pouring white paint on the victim's heads and hands. Uh, Philippe covered Anita's face with a black shirt before pouring paint all over her. Um, Philippe had faced 50 years to life for each murder, but Judge Frank F. Fassel um, sentenced him to 25 years to life on each count 
in uh, to run concurrently. Fassel um, added two years in Zamora's sentence for residential burglary. So he is in prison for 27 years. The seven-woman, five-man jury deliberated for about a day before finding Tanya Jamie Nelson guilty of two counts of first-degree murder for the stabbing deaths of Ha Jade Smith, 52, and Anita Vo, 23, plus several su- special circumstances that led to her death sentence. She is the only the second woman in Orange County history to be sentenced to death. The only other woman to be sentenced to death in Orange County history was Maria Del Rocio, uh, also known as Rosie Alfaro, who received the death penalty in 1992 for stabbing a nine-year-old Adam Wallace multiple times during a home invasion robbery two years earlier to get money to buy drugs. Way to make history. And uh, apparently um, Tanya has never given up why the white paint, which has been kind of like a big thing that investigators just you know, desperately want to know why, if there was any larger significance to that. Um, and then this really bad punny website was like, perhaps a bigger mystery than the white paint was whether the fortune teller saw this coming. So again, they like really wanted to put that on thick, all the kind of um, puns that go with that. But again, it's, I don't think they're victim blame or anything. I think it's just, it's, it's just a weird murder. Um, the timing of the deaths, Made um, an ev- were made even more poignant as Anita's cousin Ann Wynn and Ha's sister Jennifer Kempf recalled. Um, Vietnamese Mother's Day was on May 10th and Anita's birthday was only a few weeks after that. I really like that they included the family in the interviews that I, uh, of the documentaries I watched. Um, and the cousin of um, Anita said, um, I'll try to be good. Maybe I'll see my cousin in heaven. That's, I, Yeah. So anyways, there is the story of the senseless murders of Anita Vo and Ha Smith, who, by all accounts, seem like really amazing women in like a very um, close knit community. So as a bummer. Don't you really want to know? Okay, I was wondering who the father of my baby was. All right, let's take a look. The Miss Cleo DNA test. I don't know. All right, well, this one happened in the UK in May of 2015. Star Randall Hansen. His name's Star? Star. Ooh. Uh, he's not going to be nice, though. No. Okay. Um, but he's the star of this? He murder. is the star of the show here. Uh He's between 50 to 56 years old at this point. Okay. Um, Yeah, there's no information about this guy until this happens. So maybe he's just like a CIA operative. MKUltra? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So he walks into the J.J. Tarot shop owned for 25 years by Jane Braden on the Brighton Seafront in East Sussex. So Jane would say later that Mr. Randall Hansen looked tense when he walked in, uh, but people usually are, so it really didn't raise any red flags. Um, he sat down and made a double payment, uh, or like pay for two sessions or however it is, and so you get like a more in-depth reading. It'll tell you like what you ate for dinner last night. <laughs> 
so 10 cards were chosen. The first was the Falling Tower, which typically means danger and destruction. It's associated with a sudden unforeseen change. Then the second card was the Emperor, which signifies stability and security in life, but there's different ways of interpreting the cards. If it's upside down, the meaning is reversed. So in this case, it meant more of a loss of authority or being out of control. The third card chosen was the devil, which obviously <laughs> isn't the best probably one to get. Um, For him. Yeah, uh, but it represents being seduced by the material world or physical pleasures. Um, and reversed, it could be the moment when an individual becomes self-aware and breaks the chains that come with addiction and poor habits. When Randall Hansen saw the devil card, he broke down in tears. Jane said, look, I can see that this is no good. You need yeah, to- but if he broke down in tears, you don't have to be a mind reader to be like, oh, something seems to be wrong. It helps if you have a crystal ball. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But anyways, yeah. So she gets him to tell him everything. Um, so through his tears, he says, it's terrible. I killed him. Uh, so this guy just confessed a murder and he's sitting in front of the only exit to her store. Ah. So Jane keeps calm and professional. Uh, she didn't want to upset him. Yeah. Get him more riled up or whatever. Like she probably didn't want to be murdered either. Yeah, probably not. Um, so she turns over more cards. That's crazy. Like, in that instance, it's just like, so we'll just keep going, you know? Yeah, I know. Um, She's a badass. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> um, the last three cards were judgment, which upright means improvement, uh, change of perspective, and inspiration. But reversed it means oppression, lack of restraint, or subject to trial. Hmm. So the next card was uh, the justice card. And upright, that means, you know, justice, fairness, truth. Reversed, uh, it means lack of accountability, dishonesty, and unfairness. And the last was the prison card. Really? Did she make this up? I don't, you know, I don't know. Okay. But, uh... That one reflects um, self-inflicted obstacles in your life. Reversed, it means, you know, the office, breaking free of those things. Um, Jane would later tell investigators, uh, I know this man had done something terrible uh, and that the cards were revealing the crime to her. Hmm. And those were in air quotes. Because they're in actual quotes. They were <laughs> actual quotes. <laughs> um. At some point in this, she asks Hansen if she can call police, and he agrees. So I would, dude, if I was in that situation, I'd be like, this next card is, you should call the police right now and confess upside down. You know what I mean? I would just be like, total full of shit, you know? I don't know if that card exists. Yeah. Call the police card? Yeah. White people love that card. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Jane believes that he came to see her so he could confess. 
and like she would be kind of the broker between him and the police yeah exactly huh i think he was a he i he, i did he hear that some... he went went to turn himself in at some police station and it was closed so that's where your tax dollars get you in britain it's just weird though when he's trying to find some kind of like liaison between him and the police he goes to a palm reader like fortune teller and not like i don't know like a mental health counselor or like a hospital you know what i mean it's just funny that he chose her well, i mean it, it's, i guess it's good that he did so where this store is um the brighton seafront it's kind of like a, a touristy beach town that you'd see like you know anywhere in the states like you know like venice if you you know know venice mm-hmm. Um, or, or like the pier, uh, like yeah, Santa Monica Pier, or like even like Atlantic the Santa Barbara, City, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, yeah. Or um, Virginia Beach. Shout out to my homegirl Candace. Um, so maybe that's like <laughs> he was just walking along and went in there. Well, he had been in there before, like a year oh, earlier. Okay, did um, she see him coming? No. <laughs> Oh, are you making the yeah, joke I'm making, again? I'm making oh, the yeah, joke. Good one. I'm making the joke. Yeah. It's the only joke I have. Oh, Remember yeah. when we... A, it's a good one. Keep in, using it. In Portland, there was like um, ring the bell for Psychic, like uh, over by the Hollywood Theater. Oh, and right. I'm like, why do I have to ring the bell? She should just know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of people around the touristy, you know, beach thing. Um, mm-hmm. She goes outside to call 999. Why would like she do that? Like the Motorhead song. Because that's, that's what you call when you're in the UK. Yeah. If you couldn't figure that one out. Thanks, Amy. Um, <laughs> uh, she called 999 yeah. and she got Cleo. She's all calling me now. <laughs> yeah, from beyond the grave. <laughs> She's like, oh, shoot, that's 1-900. Never mind. Um, so she tells the operator that she's a medium and someone just confessed to murder during a tarot card reading. And the police or the dispatcher doesn't believe her, and so puts her on her places her call on a lower priority. Oh, good. Because um, I mean that totally sounds legit, right? I'm a psychic yeah. doing a tarot card reading, yeah. And someone just confessed to murder. Send mm-hmm. send someone out r- right away. Yeah, that's important. Um, so Jane thought that it was gonna be like you know fifteen twenty minutes until the cops arrive. Um, the dispatcher tells her it's going to be about an hour. Whew. Even I, even though I would just walk him down to the police station <laughs> then, but yeah, yeah. Even though Jane gave them the address where they could find the body, so you know she's just been told that she's going to have to spend an hour with this guy, mm-hmm. and so she's like, well, "What the hell am I going to do for an hour?" Um, so she goes and buys like a couple of bottles of water and goes back to her shop and um, sits down. They just talk for a while, and she's kind of like taking notes and. She kind of gets star, you know, comfortable and relaxed and stuff. And he starts telling her about what happened, um, how he killed his flatmate and how they had shared a bed, but they were not lovers. And mm-hmm. about how they met in 2013 at the Brotherhood Gate Spiritualist Church. And also about his flatmate's sexual advances and even about the three times he was allegedly sexually abused by his flatmate. Hmm. What star Randall Hansen didn't tell her was that he killed his flatmate 10 days before. 
uh, Derek Marnie, 70 years old. That was the victim? Was the Is the victim, yeah. So he killed him 10 days ago. Ew. Um, so was the body just like decomposing in their apartment? Yeah, police were about to find a smelly surprise. Well, they deserve it. Well, they don't, but the police... You know what? That dispatcher should have had to go smell that body. That <laughs> yeah, should have right? been her punishment. Like like when the dogs pee on the ground, you're like, smell this, you yeah, know? Right, yeah. They should have taken her by the scruff of her neck <laughs> and put it in the decomposed body and be like, smell this! Don't do this again! Yeah, so 10 days it's been there, and that guy Star had been living there still. Ew, that's some, that's some Dahmer shit right there. Weekend at Bernie's. Um, two police officers finally arrive, and Jane can tell by their body language that they still don't believe. Well, they they they, they think, think it's think a hoax. It's, oh, they think it's still a hoax. Yeah. yeah. Um. So at this point, I don't think they found the ten-day-old corpse slumped against the heater in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> um. Police take Hanson into custody and charge him for murder. At you know once they found the body. Um. Police found Derek Marnie with a fatal stab wound to his side that punctured vital organs. He was found in the kitchen slumped against uh, like a radiator heater with like a eight inch gash on through his side. Like I said, uh, Star had been still living at the flat uh, this whole time. He told police that they'd been arguing and that he turned around suddenly when Derek entered the kitchen unexpectedly. Uh, so when he turned around, he accidentally, quotes again, you can't see me, but I'm doing quotes, uh, accidentally sticking the knife he had in his hand into Derek's I, side. I did that once. You did do that once. Not to you, to somebody else. Yeah. He, somebody was like, hey, and I was holding a knife and turned around and I stabbed him in the hand. It was like I was watching the Three Stooges. Wait, were you, but there was only, were you there? I was there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was a long time ago. Yeah, that's why. And he, remember he yelled out his girlfriend's name? <laughs> <laughs> he just assumed that his girlfriend had stabbed him even though he was looking at me. <laughs> that's why all our knives are really dull. Um, so he said that it was an accident. Um, Mine really was. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, police didn't think so because the wound was like six or eight, eight inches long and deep enough to pierce uh, internal organs. Dang, so, yeah, that doesn't sound like an accident. Unless that's a super sharp knife or you're fucking strong as hell. So after a two-week trial... Or... Or... Ooh. Or maybe the 70-year-old skin was like jello. <laughs> There's that option too. <laughs> Maybe he was a puddle of a man. It didn't look like it from pictures though. Oh. Oh um, wait, pictures prior to the stabbing, right? Yes. Okay. After a two week trial at Croydon Crown Court. Try saying that three times fast. Croydon Crown Court. Croydon Count Crown Court. Croydon Crown Court. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Mr. Randall Hansen was sentenced to life with a minimum of 15 years. Uh, Jane still boasts about having the only set of tarot cards used in a royal court. Ooh. I like her. Yeah. She's, she's pretty, too. Um, she also says that she has a regular customer that was friends with the victim, Derek Marnie. 
Um, apparently, Marnie was also a psychic medium. And during a session with this regular Wait, customer. If he's a psychic medium. Yeah, I know. How oh. did he not see <laughs> it coming? Oh, my God. I thought you meant the star guy was because he definitely has the name to be a psychic medium. You don't you don't think Marnie has a medium sound name to it? No. It doesn't well, stream Derek. psychic? No. So they turned over the medium card in a session and Jane believed that that was Derek Marnie's way of thanking her. So hmm. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but. I think all of tarot is a little bit of a stretch. You would say that coming from your scientific background. Yeah. Mm. Science. Yeah. Magnets. What's that? Fucking magnets. That's the second time we've had that ICP reference. It's gonna, yeah. It's gonna keep. Won't be the back. last. Um, Jane also uses her card to predict things happening in politics, specifically Brexit. If you know what Brexit, Brexit? is. Brexit. 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 I'm gonna Brexit. get this. Oh fuck. Wait, what? You're saying Brexit? It's Brexit, like exit. So Jane also uses her cards to predict things happening in politics, specifically Brexit. <laughs> specifically breakfast? <laughs> Brexit. It's the meal before <laughs> Brit- Britain leaving the European <laughs> Union and lunch. Well, hmm. I think it's going to be sausage and eggs and potatoes. Freedom. <laughs> um... So concerning Brexit, <laughs> she pulled the death card, but this time believing its meaning as signifying an abrupt change, clearing away the old to make way for the new. She also pulled... Is that like her libertarian card set or something? Yeah, I think that was the <laughs> don't tread on me deck. <laughs> I think... Um... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Uh, she also pulled the Six of Coins card, meaning the sharing of wealth. And she says that leaving the EU will come at a price. Uh, and also, she apparently predicted Boris Johnson being elected to prime minister when she pulled the Knight of Wands card, which means a journey to the unknown. So, believe what you want. But... To- Tarot cards is real. Only tarot cards are real. Um, so what's in the cards next week, Kevin? Ooh, Wait, do we don't we don't good one. we don't give hints as to what's happening next week on the I'll the have end. to read the entrails of the animal I'm about to <laughs> sacrifice. Uh, well, now we are on Twitter, which is pretty funny because both of us have never been on Twitter before. Um, and it took Kevin two hours how to figure out how to do stuff on how it. How to make a how twat. To cheat. Yeah. And a bunch of people started adding us that we have no idea how they found us. And it's really funny. Um, so shout out to the people who follow us on Twitter. Yeah, you probably Twitter. have no idea what TC Dumpster is. And that's our name, TC Dumpster, because you can't have a long name on Twitter. Um, we're also on True Crime Dumpster, uh, the public group on Facebook. And we now... As of like five minutes before the show, 
are on Instagram and we will put some things up there very soon very soon and we are true crime dumpster all one word on Instagram check us out we're so, being social on our networks yeah um so don't forget to rate review and subscribe to this podcast and you know share our group um retweet us is that a thing I don't know um you know regram us or whatever um, we're also on Podbean and Apple Podcasts, and we'll be making more uh, the move to more um, podcast platforms for people who have like Android or flip phones, I guess. <laughs> you could ask for a mail. We'll send out the, the transcripts to all of our shows. <laughs> I'll have Amy just type them up yeah. and just mail them. We'll, we'll uh, tie it to send Piper's, us your address. We'll tie it to Piper's next, and he'll. Uh, He'll run to your home and deliver it yeah. to you. Pony Express. <laughs> so, right. well, that's it for us. Yeah, have a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? Have it or else. Happy Thanksgiving or else. That's right. Um. All right. Drown you in gravy. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>